Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, daughter, wife, mother, licensed marriage and family therapist, and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Welcome to today's episode, Coping with Infertility and Grief. According to estimates from the World Health Organization, 186 million individuals live with infertility globally. This includes 9% of men of reproductive age and 11% of women during their childbearing years. In approximately 40% of infertile couples, the male partner is a contributing cause of infertility, according to the Co-Fertility Organization. Before we dive in, I want to tell you a little bit about today's guest, Blair Nelson. Blair is an infertility warrior who began her journey in 2018 after being told IVF was the only way to grow her family due to an inherited genetic factor her husband, Will, was born with. After their second embryo transfer from their first round of IVF treatment, she suffered a heartbreaking miscarriage that redefined her life. Ever since then, Blair has made it her mission to be a voice of hope and inspiration to others on their fertility journey. During her own difficult times, Blair found refuge online among women who shared similar experiences. This inspired her to start Fab Fertility on Instagram, where she shares facts, tips, and her own personal moments to encourage others on similar journeys. As you can probably guess, Fab Fertility's audience exploded and Blair answered the call to grow her brand into a blog and podcast and beyond to educate and support anyone seeking to build their modern family. After five rounds of IVF, hundreds of shots and countless procedures, Blair and Will are expecting their rainbow baby girl this May. I love that happy ending. Thank you so much for being here, Blair. Will you begin by sharing about your journey and telling us why infertility and pregnancy loss is such an important topic for you? Yes. Okay. Well, we could be here all day if I told you about our journey, um, every little detail, but I'll make it, I'll make it pretty short. I've gotten good at that. So like you said, we started, we we got married in 2017 and we knew we wanted to start a family right away. And so we started trying the good old natural way which is a triggering term in the infertility community, calling it the natural way, but there's really no other term for it. Just, you know, tracking ovulation, having sex, all that fun stuff, timed intercourse, you know, the the romantic timed intercourse. (laughs) And we were at that for about six months and I'm very impatient. And so I I said to Will, you know, I want to go to my OB and just tell her it's not happening. I'm 31 is there anything we can do? So we went to, or I went to my OB. I told her what was going on. She didn't seem very concerned. And she said, you know, you're at blah, blah, blah age. You're in good health. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't had any um, female reproductive issues in the past, you know, like endo or PCOS or, or a diagnosis like that. So I really think you should go 12 months before we seek any intervention. So by the time I got to the parking lot, I was already Googling other OBs because that was just not 
what I wanted to hear. And I knew from, you know, at that point, all my, we're in the childbearing years. So a lot of people are starting to talk about having having families and various issues are going through. And I know that some people's doctors were a little bit more aggressive. So I found a doctor that one of my friends had just gone through some fertility treatments with, or she had had some issues and been referred by that OB to a reproductive endocrinologist. So I wanted to go to that OB because I knew he was a little bit more aggressive with treatment and um, he's a little bit younger. And so I think that with these younger physicians, it's a lot more common for them to be more aggressive with your treatments. Um, and, and the, the way of thinking, 12 months before you seek intervention is very archaic and outdated. And I think most, most, I mean, I, if, if anyone's listening and doesn't know that I don't listen to your doctor, if they say that <laughs> anyway, we can get into that later. Yeah. So I ended up going to our OB who's actually our OB now. And I respect him so much because he ran a couple of diagnostic tests on us. And during those diagnostic tests is when my husband will kind of piped up and was like, I think I have some sort of medical file on my chromosomes and there's something. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably something we need to know. And so we pull it out and sure enough, there's this letter on like, that was written on a typewriter from 1987 talking about how he has a chromosomal, um, not abnormality, but condition called a balanced translocation, which for those listening that don't know what it means, and you probably don't because it's pretty rare, is that um, you know we all have 26 sets of chromosomes, and it means that two sets of your chromosomes have um, completely flip-flopped, like perfectly flip-flopped. Um, so you're a normal person, you're functioning normally. However, when you try to reproduce, more oftentimes than not, they don't flip-flop normally. So you if you're able to conceive, you you experience a lot of miscarriage. If you carry to term, your child likely dies um, immediately after you give birth or it doesn't survive very long. And that's because there's missing chromosome pieces on one of your sets or there's extra on another and it's just not viable with life. So a lot of people don't, we were lucky in the sense that we had this diagnosis from before he was even born, but he had no idea what it meant. And I don't even think his parents knew what it meant because they had a healthy baby and that's all they needed to know. No one realized the implications it was going to have on our, on our fertility. So we take this letter to the doctor, get these basic tests run. And I think without even looking at the test results, our doctor said, yeah, you need to go straight to a reproductive endocrinologist. I'm not going to be able to help you. So that's why I love, I love ROB because he was willing to step away and say, I can't help you um, and send us to a specialist. So eight months into our marriage, we were sitting in front of a reproductive endocrinologist starting IVF. So we went from timed intercourse at home, smiley, blinky faces on the ovulation tests to IVF. So, you know, a lot of people get a ramp up period <laughs> to IVF. Like they do medicated cycles, they try Clomid, they try an IUI and, and then they go into IVF and we went from zero to 60. So I don't regret it because, or I don't, I don't wish it would have been any different because it got us to where we needed to be as quickly as possible. Um, and we would have been spinning our wheels had we not had that diagnosis, but it was a lot to take on at once. So um, to make a very long journey short, 
uh, we started IVF in, in June of 2018. Between June of 2018 and May of 2020, we did five rounds of IVF. Our first and fifth rounds were the only rounds that produced genetically normal embryos. So when you have a diagnosis like we have, it's imperative that you do IVF so that you can test your embryos to make sure they don't have an unbalanced translocation. So there were three rounds of IVF we did that just resulted in zero normal embryos. Topic for a different day, but it's very expensive. Infertility coverage is terrible. It is something that I'm super passionate about advocating for both in the workplace and on a legislative basis because it's just terrible. We had zero coverage throughout this entire time. Every single cent was out of pocket. It was a very, very financially taxing on top of being emotionally and physically taxing. But with all that being said, um, our fifth round of IVF, we made three normal embryos and we transferred our fifth one in August of 2020 and she stuck around. And so, yeah, we're due, we're due in May. And I'll tell you like pregnancy after infertility has been really, really hard. I know you probably have some questions about that, but that's where we're at in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I know your journey has been hard, but I love the fact that your journey starts with I didn't like the answer my doctor gave me and I trusted my instincts and went with them because I feel like so many people just trust their doctors. And I'm not saying doctors shouldn't be trusted, but they're human beings with their own biases. And there's so many times working with parents of children who they're like, something's up with my child and I don't know. So many people who just don't listen to their gut and, you know, end up on a long, crazy, even tragic journey. And so I love that part of your story to tell people, trust your gut, you know, that you can move this process along. And and you can, if you think something might be at play there, then let's look into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to start with this diagnosis that you got, and I know you kind of had some inclination from that chromosomal letter. But when you received this diagnosis related to infertility, how did that impact how you felt about yourself and your body? I see so many women who just are in this, it's almost a war with their body. They're so angry with their body for not doing. And with themselves, there's so much shame around why aren't you doing what you're just supposed to do that all my friends are able to do and you know whatnot. How does that impact you and how does that impact the relationship? It was really hard because for me in the beginning, I was thankful for the diagnosis because I thought, okay, well, now we know that IVF is our path and we're on it. And you're, you know, I think when you start infertility treatments, you're a little naive and embrace it because (laughs) you learn quickly that your body never cooperates and that things never go as planned and that IVF is not a guarantee. There's a stigma out there that, you know, IVF is a last resort and it was our only resort or that IVF works every time or that IVF is only for people that want twins or to pick a gender. And none of that's true. So I think I was thankful for the diagnosis because at least we knew what was wrong. We had answers. Um, And I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad because what if we would have just continued to do this timed intercourse in vain, really? I mean, there's no chance that we would have conceived Um, a very small chance anyway. Like I think the doctor told us in our consult, it would have taken us six years to get pregnant and potentially have a viable pregnancy. Six years. We haven't even been married six years yet. And you know, it's just, it's wild to me, but it was also a challenging diagnosis because it wasn't mine. And I had to go through all the treatment and it wasn't my body 
that wasn't cooperating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was hard on our relationship because there was a little, you know, on hard days when I was feeling really, really bloated or really sore or, you know, I was kind of, there was a little bit of resentment. I'm doing this because of, of him. And again, like that, those are in weak moments. That's not how I actually feel. Um, we're a team and we decided we wanted kids and however we needed to get there is how we needed to get there. And I say that, and I know it was really hard on him. Um, it was very hard for him to give me shot after shot and spend all of this money that we had earned and worked so hard for, for something that was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. However, I just kept telling him, this isn't like a problem you have because you were a drug user or so, you know, this is a problem that you were born with. Like this isn't that you, that you didn't do this to yourself. And so there was a lot of guilt that he, that he still has that he carries around. And it was really hard on our relationship, but as we got it further into our journey, it was clear that it wasn't just his body. That was the problem because we made normal, normal embryos our first round. And I had a miscarriage and I had three perfect embryos that didn't implant in my uterus. So clearly we had to turn the microscope over on me for a second and say, what is wrong with Blair? Is there an egg quality issue now? Like once we started getting failed rounds of IVF, is there an egg quality issue? Is there an, there's an repeat implantation failure is a diagnosis I got not repeat pregnancy loss because I only had one miscarriage, but I did have, so then it will, will tell you, would tell you this then all of a sudden when that happened, it was almost like we were even more unified because it was like, all right, we both have something that an issue we're bringing to the table that we have to work through together. And it's not just one person's diagnosis over another. But I remember two of my best friends sat me down after our second failed round of IVF. And they were like, we really, we're not like worried about you and Will like making it through this because clearly y'all are, y'all are doing, y'all are strong, but this is a lot. And we really think y'all should go to therapy. And, you know, you're having a hard time and you're, you know, like you're emotional and Will's, this is heavy and y'all should consider it because I think they were both in therapy at the time and they're huge proponents of it as am I. And Will was going to his own therapy and so was I, but we weren't going together. So we started going to see an infertility, a, a therapist that specializes in couples infertility. So very specific, very niche. And she has been a godsend because we know that we have reserved time and space to talk about the hard stuff, to talk about, well, if this next round doesn't work, are we open to donor stuff? Are we open to adoption? Like all these conversations that you don't just want to have at the dinner table or on a date, um, we had time for. And we also couldn't get up and walk away mad. We had to sit there and have the conversation and have someone help facilitate it, which I think was so important. So our relationship is stronger than ever. It's definitely been a roller coaster. We've had terrible times. Um, but for the most part, the the trials and tribulations have brought us closer together and therapy helps. <laughs> yes. Thank you for saying that. Yes. No, but it's so true. I was going to ask that actually next about how y'all coped as individuals and as a couple with this whole journey, this whole process. And then I was thinking as you were telling your story even when you were like, it would take six years of us trying the old fashioned way. And I'm like, and with what you told mentioned about the translocation, 
how much grief and tragedy and trauma y'all would likely have to endure in that. And so I am so thankful again that you trusted your gut and were able to, you know, get ahead of this, get so that you didn't have to endure as much, you know, as somebody who just listened and was like, okay, I guess we'll just keep trying. And I just love that. And I love how that's led you to advocacy and passion, but I'm so glad that you mentioned going to therapy. What kind of tools have you two developed from therapy that has helped y'all during the ups and downs of this, the highs and lows? I would say the main, the main tools have been when we started therapy, we didn't understand each other's coping mechanisms. Will didn't understand that it was cathartic and, and healing for me to share our journey. When I started my account, I started just in a dark place. I started my account because I wanted to find support from other women who had gone through it because I think when you're going through infertility, it feels like you're the only one. And sometimes you are the only one in your immediate group, um, which I was at the time. Come to find out when you start sharing, more people come out of the woodwork and say, oh, I had a miscarriage or it's just not talked about, which is one of the main missions of, of my brand and my other company fertility rally is to break the stigma, encourage people to share their journey and not be ashamed. He didn't understand that that was how I coped. He didn't understand by sharing. That was one piece of, of me grieving and of me coping. But then I was getting this amazing response in return of, Oh my gosh, like, thank you so much, Blair. Your the sharing is helpful. So then I knew I was helping people. So then all of a sudden I felt like my pain had a purpose and I could assign a reason to why I was going through this. Cause otherwise you go through this spiral of why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. I'm a good person. Why, why can't I just get pregnant? And you can really throw a huge, massive pity party for yourself. And for me, I was just like, this is the reason I'm going through this. I was meant to do this. I was meant to help people, whether that's true or not. That's just what I tell myself. And then I didn't understand his perspective of being more private and going inward. And we're just two very different people. And the ther- our therapist helped us navigate that, helped us navigate how to respect one another and give each other space and honor how we each grieve and how we each cope and, um, not try to stifle that, not me, not try to get him to talk about it more and him not to try to tell me to talk about it less, um, to have a mutual respect and understanding for how we deal with things. And also the the biggest issue we went into therapy with other than that was for me, I knew that at the end of the day, I didn't care how we got there. I wanted a family and he would never tell me because he, he was so worried that if we had to take drastic measures um, beyond our own genetic material, he was afraid that it would be his genetic material that we were sacrificing. Mm -hmm. So he would never say to me, yes, Blair, I agree. I want kids no matter what. Because if he would have just said that to me in the beginning, I would have been, I would have been like, okay, like we're, we're good. No matter how much treatment we do, whatever we're, if if we end up adopting kids that are in high school, it doesn't matter. Like we're going to have a family. That's all I cared about. The end of the day, finally, through talking through everything with our therapist, 
we both got there. And in, in, in him answering questions that she was asking him, he, he ultimately was like, yeah, that's what I want too. <laughs> and so she said, you know, Blair's not asking you to say you want to give up your genetic material. She's just asking you, are you on board to have a family no matter what happens? And so once we got to that place where we both were in agreement that like, no matter what we go through, that's our end goal. And we both agree things got a lot easier. That's great. Um, I was listening to Brene Brown, you know, you know who Brene Brown is, of course. And she's got this podcast called Unlocking Us, I think is what it's called. And somebody sent me this recent one she did with the Gottmans. And that's exactly what they were talking about, how we don't marry our clone. We marry somebody who's so different from us Mm -hmm. and who hopefully balances us. But that when things get stressful, because we don't we don't speak the same language in those moments Yeah, that that's where we need that bridge. That's where we need that translator. And 100%. yeah, so that's awesome. I'm so glad y'all were able to make it there. One of the things you talked about a few times is um, that you did suffer a miscarriage on this journey. And that's another topic that, as you had already mentioned, is so rarely acknowledged. And, you know, so many people don't even announce that they're pregnant until the first trimester has passed because what if they lose the baby? And then nobody knows about this baby that existed because it's just never talked about. And I feel like that makes it so much more difficult and there's so much stigma and misconception around miscarriage and blame. And then people give you all this advice and just, there's just so much there. And so can you share a little bit about your loss story and how you were able to cope and what you would want people out there who have maybe been suffering in silence through multiple miscarriages or one miscarriage or, you know, any type of loss related to fertility, what would be helpful for them to hear? Well, the first thing I want to say is I by no means tell everybody that they should be public with their story like I am. I know that that's not for everybody. And, you know, people sometimes assume that that's what I think is the right way because that's what I do. And I don't, I don't think that that's the right way for everybody. It's the right way for me. So the miscarriage, the miscarriage story itself, we lost the baby, um, pretty early on. We were like seven and a half weeks pregnant. But by that point, you know, when you're, when you're trying to conceive through IVF, it's very unlike a typical pregnancy outside of the fertility clinic. You have already seen your, your baby twice at seven and a half weeks. You've seen the gestational sac, you've seen the fetal pole, you've seen the heartbeat. Um, it's very unlike if you just got pregnant at home and peed on a stick, you don't, you won't even go in till what, eight or nine weeks or something like that. You, you, this attachment is very strong and to have been working so hard to make the embryos and go through all the procedures and things, you have this attachment that is really, really intense. Um, our first transfer didn't work. This was our second transfer. We, um, were celebrating our, both of our birthdays and our one year wedding anniversary that month that we found out we had planned a trip to Europe to celebrate all three things. When we found out we were pregnant, we were like, great, we're celebrating a fourth thing. It was super exciting. Um, we were like, wow, I mean, this IVF thing really is kind of easy. I mean, we just had to do one, one transfer, you know, the second transfer and one round of IVF and here we are. Well, then we, um, we came home from the trip 
and went into our appointment the next day. And she, our, our doctor at the time didn't see a heartbeat, but she also saw a lot of bleeding on the ultrasound. Um, so it was like clouding her view. So we were sent home kind of like with this probably isn't good news, but I really can't see enough to confirm. So having to go home for three days and not know if your baby is alive or not, um, is really, really, really hard mentally went back in was confirmed. Like once the, some of the blood had cleared, it was a subchronic subchorionic hematoma that I had, which is very common in IVF pregnancy. Um, and what it, it had ended up causing the placenta to detach from the uterine wall was the diagnosis we got kind of, um, and she didn't see the heartbeat. And I decided that I did not want a DNC. The last thing I wanted was another procedure in a, in a surgery center. And so I decided I opted to take the pills at home that make your uterus contract and, and eliminate what's left of the pregnancy. So that's what I did. So the physical aspect of it was very traumatic. Um, just taking pills and waiting for that to happen at home, like sitting on the couch with your husband is really a mind F. And, um, that was, I almost like blocked that out of my memory because it was just so bad. Um, and I just remember I, I was so, I was so sad. I was wanting will to be as sad as I was Mm -hmm. working at through it, you know, working through that in therapy though, you know, Will was just trying to be strong for me. So he didn't want to break down because I was breaking down. And then he didn't deal with it till months later. Like it, he was so like, he went through this kind of state of depression months later, grieving this miscarriage that I had already grieved and not moved on from. You never move on. But, you know, I had moved, I I was able to not think about it all the time. It wasn't all consuming. So anyway, that's when I turned to social media I always say like any good millennial does, right? It's our answer to everything. And I found an amazing community. There are so many people online that do talk about this stuff because you're right, Tracy, like they don't, they being the general population doesn't talk about miscarriage. 25% of women have experienced a miscarriage. And so it's just crazy that it's not talked about more. And I will say like, I'm really thankful not that I think celebrities should be the spokespeople for the infertility community, but I am grateful for more and more famous people discussing the topic because it does destigmatize it. And it, I think it empowers other people, us minions here on normal earth to talk about it. Um, and I, I just found so much, uh, so much community online. You can you know, I, the advice I give people is if you are looking for community, you can get on Instagram, you can get on Facebook, you can look at Facebook groups like pregnancy loss, miscarriage, get on Instagram, search the hashtags one in four pregnancy loss, miscarriage, whatever you want to search. And you will find so many groups and people to reach out to. And, um, it's a little awkward at first There's perfect strangers, but what, one, one amazing thing about infertility and loss is that you're instantly connected and have such a strong bond with anybody else that's gone through it because it is such an emotionally charged thing that you automatically know how somebody is feeling and, um, like nobody else can know. Um, and, and so that's my advice is you don't necessarily have to share. Um, you could be a, um, observer. An observer. Yeah. You can just search, seek out resources. You could create 
I give this advice a lot. You can create a, um, a handle on Instagram where you never show your face. It's just like a lot of people have like TTC trying to conceive out whatever you can make a handle that doesn't have your name and, and kind of operate under this alias, almost just seeking support Mm -hmm. or you can shout it from the rooftops, whatever you want to do. But I do think that online is an incredible resource. And like the reason I started fertility rally with my business partner is because we were like, what did we wish we would have had going through this? We wish we would have had a membership where we could join a bunch of women who knew what we were going through with like virtual support groups and blog articles and all this stuff. And so that's what we're trying to create. And it's like an evolving thing. Yeah. And you guys did that conference. That was the the things you showed on your Instagram about it. It was just amazing. Just the the people speaking. I remember sending it to like people I knew who are on their own journey or dealing with their own infertility diagnosis and just these amazing topics and speakers. I think there was even one that I got to watch and I can't even remember, but it was so powerful and moving. And I do think this community you've built is so powerful and needed because one of the things that keeps coming to mind as you're talking is I do when as a therapist, when somebody comes into your office, you know this because you've gone to therapy. The first session is really like, tell me everything, like Mm -hmm. give me the whole bowl of wax, everything. And a lot of people will tell me about a lot of women and couples will tell me their pregnancy journey, tell me how many kids they have. And they'll mention a miscarriage, but it's almost like a footnote. Mm-hmm. And every time I want to be like, I'm, you know, there's a lot of times I'll be like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And it's like this, nobody's ever even acknowledged that that was a life that was lost. Mm-hmm. And that has in, in many times created a whole bunch of grief work that I've done in therapy, you know, where we write letters to this baby that we do, you know, because even before you've, you've put dreams onto a baby before that baby has even come into been, you know, breathed into existence. And as you know, your body's growing this baby for two weeks, three, whatever it is, there's, like you said, that connection, that love, especially when you are able to have as much insight into your body as you do with IVF, where they're like, look, here, here's this and here's that. And, you know, that all needs to be grieved. Like there is so much wrapped up in there and we need to be able, and I'm not saying like you're saying, you don't have to go on social media to grieve it, but mm-hmm. talk to somebody. Every grief book I've ever read is like, you don't have to talk to everybody, but talk, find somebody, somebody. to somebody, talk to. Yeah. And there's really cool, cool things in this space. Like there's companies that have been created that sell candles just for people like this that have gone through a loss that can buy this candle and the proceeds go to help other couples in need, but you light it to remember your baby or, you know, there's so, there's so much out there. Um, it's, and it's it could becoming easier and easier to find, which is wonderful. Yes. And you're, you're one of the voices contributing to that, to putting the spotlight on it. So I'm sure so many people, including myself, even though I do not have an, I have a fertility journey, but not an infertility journey. Um, but even myself, I'm so thankful that you have that created that voice out there. Now, one of the things, because now you're pregnant and that has changed and I've seen you, I've watched, I follow you on everything. Um, (laughs) but I've watched you be very careful navigating your pregnancy on, um, 
Fab Fertility on your Instagram account and being just very careful about like, this is, this is my pregnancy content coming up. So I just, it's like a trigger warning for you. And even asking your followers, like, do you want to hear about where I am right now? What being pregnant is like for me? Can I share that with you? And I think that is such a beautiful and amazing thing that you do for your followers. But also I think it's so important for us to be able to talk about. I know so many people who are like, I can't tell talk about being pregnant because my other, my best friend's struggling with infertility. And then there's this awkwardness that comes up mm-hmm. in these relationships. And then both parties feel isolated and it, and I've seen it really hurt friendships and hurt that closeness. Um, and so what advice would you give to people who aren't struggling you know, with infertility, who who were able to get pregnant and are able to start their family a little easier with a little less legwork and financial work and all those other things. Um, how do they, how do you suggest they navigate it? What do they need to know so that they don't destroy their relationships in the process? It's, it's so, it's so incredibly hard. So the, to answer your first, this recent question, my, one of my best, my best friend, um, has three kids. She has had no problems getting pregnant. She was, all of these pregnancies were amidst, well, not the first one, but the second two pregnancies were um, amidst my infertility struggles. And I remember when she got pregnant with her second baby, she called me and almost apologized. <laughs> and um I was like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Like you can't apologize because this is working out for you. But she felt so much sadness for me that she was just like, she couldn't wrap her head around why it was easy. I'm doing air quotes, easy for her and hard for me. Right. And, um, it's a really hard, it's a hard situation. And the advice that I can give and what's worked for me is, okay. First, what I've appreciated from my fertile friends is that they don't cut me out of their life. Um, when it comes to their children, I've always appreciated being told when they're pregnant. Um, I think the best way to tell an infertile friend that you're pregnant might be text so that they can respond on their own time. Um, and, and think about it and not, you don't want to hear the disappointment in their voice. And, um, or, or, you know, cause they're sad for themselves, but happy for you. Um, but you also don't want to upset them. So I've always, and I've always appreciated that approach. Mm-hmm. I've also always wanted to be included in my kids or in my friends' kids' lives, whether that be a birthday party or, um, a baptism or a baby shower. But then if I don't, didn't feel the emotional capacity to to be there and show up, I then felt like I, I owed it to them to, to at least say, Hey, thank you so much for including me, but I just can't, I'm having a bad day. I just can't make it today. Um, and I think if you keep the lines of communication open and let your friends, your fertile friends know, Hey, um, please, please don't shut me out. Um, I already feel isolated enough going through this and I I want to be included, but just please know there might be some times where I can't show up the way that I would really want to show up. Um, and for, if, if you're a friend listening to this, who 
have friends going through infertility, my advice would be avoid the, well, at least, and the unsolicited advice and we'll try this. Or if you just relax, or if you just go on a vacation or all this, don't say any of that because you don't know if that will be what they need to hear. All you need to say is I'm here for you. Do you want to talk about it? How can I help? And, or you're strong, or you're going to get through this. Don't, offer the unsolicited advice. (laughs) And that has taken me so long. I used to, because I did for, and I was so scared that I was going to have a fertility issue. I think all women are at this point, you know, going into it, like, is this going to, am I going to have an issue? And I remember reading so much stuff about, you know, what to eat and what to do and your stress and take your temperature and this and that and all these other things. And then I read this one article that was like, oh, you just have sex every other day and you'll get pregnant. And and that's what we did. And we got pregnant. And so everyone, I was like, oh, you just need to have sex every other day. Oh, it'll be fine. And it took me so long to realize that is not helpful at all. Because what if they do have, you know, an inherited genetic issue? What if their, you know, uterus is in for, there's so many things at play that I was fortunate to not have that I am disqualifying and I'm putting the blame on the person and their choices instead of recognizing that their body isn't doing the thing they want it to do. Well, and it's, it's a lot of exactly. And it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot to wrap your brain around and to understand as a friend of somebody that's going through infertility, you don't need to know all the lingo. Don't even try. It's, it's too, they, your friend doesn't understand it either. And they're going through it. It, I just remember like a a couple of my friends just wouldn't ask about it because it made them feel uncomfortable, like talking about infertility because they, they didn't comprehend it. They just didn't want to talk about it. Um, and I think so for people listening is you don't have to understand it. Just, just check in on your friend. Just be like, Hey, I want to respect your boundaries. I want to understand how to support you. Just let me know, or I just want you to know that I'm here and I might not understand it all, but I'll listen. And, um, you know, and that's really all you can do. That's the best thing you yes, can do in my opinion. I agree. I love that. It's something we do actually a lot in relational therapy where we say, approach somebody with curiosity. So many times I work with people and they're telling me about, something that's upsetting them or hurting them, or they're fearful about with another person, like with a relationship. And I say, have you told them that? Have you asked them about that? Because you can, and I know you said text and I I agree a little, a little bit with the text, not that I have any say in this because I have not had anything, um, that's comparable, but I do think you can call and talk to somebody in a way that is patient and open and not setting yourself up with expectations of their reaction. You don't have to feel disappointed if it's hard for them or they're silent for a second when you talk to them. You can just be with them and let them, what's wrong with telling each other how you really feel? What's wrong with being like, I love you, I'm excited for you, and I am disappointed because I want to be on that journey too. I want to feel what you feel. And the reality is, is there's maybe not even a right way to do it. Like when you're telling an infertile friend that you're pregnant, it doesn't matter if it's a text, email call, it's going to upset them on some level. And every, everybody's going to have a preference on how they want to hear it. And it's impossible to know. And it's so hard to do the right to, to know there is no right thing. So it's just hard. It's hard, you know? 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, Blair. This was wonderful. I appreciate you so much. And I know so many people will appreciate hearing your words and your story. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.